Go ahead and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, the sermon is entitled, The God of All Comfort. And when you're grieving, when you're going through a hard time, you want to find comfort. You want to find peace. You want to find help and strength. You know, as we journey through life, we end up in situations that are a challenge, that are tragic, where we suffer, where we face hardships of many kinds. You know, we go through situations and different people find comfort in different ways. You know, we were just able to go over to Russia and have just a really amazing time with the disciples and the church over there. And, uh, you know, at one point we were on Arbot Street. We were near, near Red Square and Tara Vance's eyes lit up because she saw McDonald's. And if you know Tara, you know that Tara finds comfort in McDonald's French fries and Diet Coke. She doesn't find health in French fries and Diet Coke. She finds comfort in those things. You know, we walked a little farther down the street. And Mike and I looked over and there God had provided comfort. Cinnabon. And so we led the group in there, and they were like, why are you guys in here? And we said, we need to have a Cinnabon. said, have you not ever had a Cinnabon? The Russians were like, no, we've never had one. So they tried a bite of ours, and then they went and ordered their own Cinnabons and fell deeply in love with God's comfort, Cinnabons. Uh, you would have been really proud of... Mike and Robin and Scott and Tara, uh, the work we were able to do over there. We met with the campus ministry. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, just in one year, the campus ministry was about 35. And when we gathered with them on Friday night, uh, there were almost 80 people crowded in a room. And uh, just an incredible spirit and fire and faithfulness. Uh, we were able to teach parenting workshops uh, Scott and Tara were able to teach on healing grace. Mike and Robin talked about uh, leading a family group with career and children and school and all. How do you balance work and schedule and all those kind of things? And people were just uh, drinking deeply from the teaching. You know, right before that, Cheryl and I were able to meet with the Moscow staff and they had a meeting talking to the staff in the church about how the new law uh, dealing with religion in Russia is affecting the church and the, the things that they need to watch out for. Uh, you're no longer allowed to hand out any kind of a paper invitation. And then Sergei and Oksana sat down with us and they said, you know, on Friday and Saturday when you guys speak and the parenting thing, you can do whatever you want. But Ron, when you speak in front of the church on Sunday, it is against the law for you to try and convert anyone directly. You can be arrested for that. Now, the local ministry staff are registered. They're allowed to try and convert people directly. And so, when you preach, do not directly try and convert people. So, I preach the Word, and I indirectly try to convert people. So, 
I felt safe. I didn't get arrested. I don't know if it was just God's divine protection or what, but, uh, you know, it is an interesting situation going on over there. And as the effects of it continue to unfold, uh, the disciples are full of faith. Uh, they're sharing their faith. God is doing great things. And so really proud of the churches there and just our partnership. Uh, the L.A. Church planted the Moscow Church back in, I think, 1990. And now congregations have spread, you know, all the way across the former Soviet Union. Just to kind of give you an idea of the size if you're in Moscow and took a plane to fly to Vladivostok, which is over by Japan, you could fly to Chicago quicker from Moscow than you would fly to Vladivostok without ever leaving Russian airspace. There are 11 time zones between Moscow and Vladivostok. So it is a massive area. And then they have churches down uh, in the Asian republics, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, places like that, where because one country is Muslim and one is, is kind of Christian-based, it's against the law to travel directly from one country to another, even though you're right next door. So for you know, our church leaders to get fellowship with one another, what should be a 20-minute flight, they have to fly to Moscow and then fly to the other country. So it's, it's an 11-hour trip instead of 20 minutes because of the religious barriers that are there. So they face a lot of obstacles. But you would be so proud of what God is doing in the churches over there with the faith uh, that they are um, just showing in the work that God is doing. And they love you in Santa Clarita. They are so grateful for all the disciples in L.A., but a number of the disciples there have been able to come and see us. A number of us have been able to go and see them, and the hearts are connected. And the thing that matters most is knowing that you care about them. And, you know, of course, there's political tensions, but i got to tell you, when you're over there, Man, hearts are bonded. They're fascinated by our politics. They want to know who's going to be our, our next president. And I say, only God knows that. And then we move on and we just love one another. And it's it's really amazing time. You would get along well with everyone. They're just like Sergei and Oksana. And he's, uh, you know, they're such amazing people. And we love being with them. And we love uh, being with the church there. So I, I bring you greetings from everybody there. But there's times when you're, when you're journeying and, and you need comfort. And sometimes we can get this view of that everything in the Bible, you know, they were just always going from one victory to another victory and they weren't suffering. And so, you know, it's not all that relatable to me because I go through hard times, but they never did. Uh, you know, and, and we need to understand in the scriptures, the disciples in the churches in the first century, they, they went through a lot. And one of those books uh, was addressed to the church in, in Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul starts his letter to them. And he says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. 
For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And this is how Paul's beginning his letter. It was a hurting church. They were going through a lot, and Paul wanted them to know, hey, the God of all comfort is with you. And you know, there's just times in life where you need comfort. And then there's times where you're the comforter. You're the one that comfort is overflowing to somebody else who needs more comfort. You know, when you travel overseas, you, you can get highly jet lagged and your body has no idea, you know, what time of day it is, even though you see the sunlight and you go to bed at night and you're exhausted and then you're, you, you just, boop, you're wide awake, even though you're exhausted and haven't slept all day. It's you know, and you can start feeling sorry for yourself. And then you start talking with people and you start hearing what's going on in their lives. And all of a sudden, you're feeling like, man, I need a little comfort. I need a little energy. And then you're in a situation instantly where the comfort that you've received, you're now, you're now the giver. And... You know, shortly after we were there, Sergey and Oksana informed us of a situation of, of one of their, their lead couples. Um, they, they lead a group of 60, 70 disciples. He's been a very successful uh, businessman, and he runs a paint company and uh, employs a number of disciples. And about a week and a half before we got there, the factory exploded. It's about a $5 million company. There was no insurance. There was one fatality in the accident. And the entire operation was destroyed. And I was able to meet with Max at one point. And I saw him and we just both started crying. And we hugged. And we just went off to the side and we started talking. And I just said, how you doing? He goes, it's been so hard. He goes, I found myself asking why. Why me? How could this be? I'm unsure of our future. I don't know what's going to happen. And we just talked. And we prayed. You know, it's hard when there, there is no answer. There is no solution. Here's the solution to the pain that you have. I just said, Max, I know God loves you. And you're going through a really rough time. But I will pray for you. And I know that one day you're going to be able to help somebody else who goes through this type of situation. And I know that God won't give you more than what you can bear. But he just said, thank you. It means a lot to know that over in L.A. you'll be praying for me. You know, one, one of the brothers was giving us a ride uh, to go see some things, and we're just talking about, hey, how's how's life been uh, with the economic situation? He goes, it's it's been difficult. He said, you know, unemployment in Russia is actually very low. He goes, everybody has jobs. He goes, but just because you have a job doesn't mean that you get paid. And he said, so you work and you hope you're going to get paid. And he said, since the crisis, he goes, I was making about 4000 a month. And he goes, since the crisis, now I make about 1000 a month. He has four young children. 
He lives in an apartment of 650 square feet, one bedroom. He said, I actually, I, I would love to invite you over for tea, but I feel bad because we don't have any place for the six of you to, to sit in our house. You know, it's been rough. And so you go into a situation and you just you want to give whatever comfort you can. And it's just amazing how in an instant you can go from thinking about yourself and what you may need to going, how can I help? What can I do? How can I comfort? And I think about what Paul told the church here. And he says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble. You know, as we live the Christian life, there's times where we need to be the receiver. We need the help. We need people to love and strengthen and comfort us. But that's never the end of the story. We're to turn around and play a role in the comforting of others. And I have two things I want to talk about today with the God of all all comfort. Number one, connect with God. And number two, connect with others. God never planned for all of our comfort to come from Him. Now, He's the God of all comfort, but He's the engineer of the comforting process. And so there's a certain amount that only He provides. But then there's also the role of the church body. God never designed the church just to give us something to do on Sunday morning or Tuesday nights or Friday night devos, just so at least, you know, for those short times we weren't in any trouble. That was not the function of the church, although that can be a side benefit. Now, God, the one that made you and made me knew that he's the source of comfort. But there's a dynamic that goes beyond that in human interaction that the family meets, that the church body supplies. And so we draw comfort from God, but we also need to draw comfort and connect from one another. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. This was a a time where the disciples were enduring a lot as well. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says this to the disciples. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, there's a lot tucked into that one verse. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. You know, sometimes we can make how we live, we just need to do it because it's right. And that's a fine reason. You know, it's good to do things because it's the right thing to do. But you know, when you're struggling, when you're worried, when you're anxious, when you're hurting, God wants you to know that what you're going through is personal to Him. 
And he says, cast all your anxiety on me because I care for you. You know, in the midweek service before Cheryl and I and the Vances and Mike and Robin left for Russia, we had everybody write on a note card, you know, three different things that you wanted us to pray for you about. And so Cheryl and I, we, we prayed through those note cards. And it's kind of cool because as you're praying through those note cards, you're visualizing the person in the situation and the need. And, you know, then you see people in fellowship and you're, you're, you're drawn to the thing that you prayed about, you know. And, you know, and so you feel, you feel connected in that way. You know, and that's just, that's note cards and praying through. You know what, God is intimately aware of everything that you feel everything that's in your mind, everything that's in your heart. And he wants you to know one thing. He says, I care for you. I care about you. We live in a world with 7 billion people on the planet. And God says, I have a message that's personal. It has your name on it. And I want you to know when you're hurting, I care about you. But right before that, he says, cast all your anxiety upon him. Now, I want to talk about, you know, being anxious, being worried, being concerned. We can try and intellectualize it and saying I'm just being responsible. Uh, I think a lot of times our responsible thought process is really anxiety and worry. I think it was Mark Twain that said, um, you know, I've lived through so many tragedies and some of them have actually happened. You know, our, our mind, we, we, we worry about so much. And yet only a fraction of what our mind goes through actually do we live through. But he says, cast all your anxiety upon him. You know, the goal of when you pray is to send it all his way and let go of it. You know, sometimes in our prayer life, we make God aware of it, and then we leave and we pick it right back up and take it with us. No, 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 that's not what you're supposed to do. You know, he uses the word cast. You know, I like to fish. Well, actually, I like to catch fish. I don't like just casting practice, you know, where you're just out there, nothing. I like to actually catch fish. And, you know, when we would go up to the Sierras when our boys were little, and we'd go trout fishing, you know, in the little mountain streams there with salmon eggs and the power bait and all that stuff. And really, I didn't fish. I just would undo snags, rebate hooks, um, retie on, you, you know, weights and hooks and all those kind of things. And at, at that point, you were just trying to teach the boys to cast into the water. If they could just get it in the water, they would have a better chance of catching a fish. But I, I remember the first time I got a chance to fish with some pros. It was Ron Lacari and Mike Forslund. And, and they took me out to teach me how to fish for largemouth bass. 
And they said, you know, have you ever fished for largemouth bass? And I go, yeah, when I was a kid, I went out with my uncle and we're in a lily pad area and, and we would do this. And they go, yeah, that, that's cool. And they go, okay, let us teach you how here. You've got to learn how to do drop shot technique. And so they, they taught me and I, I forgot how to tie the hook on. And, you know, bottom line, you have this sinker that's on the bottom and then the hook's just you know, like a foot off the ground. And so you slowly drag it. I caught the biggest fish. It's pretty awesome. I only caught one. They caught a whole bunch. My fish was the biggest. It's pretty awesome. So they were really good teachers. And they were feeling bad because they had taught me. And I was just casting and caught nothing. And then I, I think they were more excited for me than I was. But I was so fired up. But you know what I learned is... When, when you're in a big lake, you can't just aim for the water. There's certain places where you've got to cast the bait if you want to catch a fish. And the same thing is true in our life when we're hurting, when we're anxious, when we're worried, when we're upset. God does not say, just vent to the whole world all your anxiety. Cast all your anxiety on, on just the whole world around. Just, you know, tweet about it, post on Facebook, just, just do that, and that's going to solve your problem. No, that's not what God says. He goes, cast it on me. And sometimes we're casting our anxiety, but we're not casting it in the right place. When you're going through hardship, a lot of times your mind is active and you, there's, there's so much emotion that's going in there. You have to focus yourself to, to cast your anxiety on God. You have to work hard just to quiet yourself enough to pray. When you go through tragedy, sometimes you try and pray and all you do is cry. And that's okay. You may get one word out, and that's it. You know, casting your anxiety does not mean repeating eloquent phrases that you've heard other people say. It's, it's communicating your heart to God. God doesn't give us all the answers, but he gives us all the help. And if you're going through a hard time right now and you need comfort, the first place we have to go is God. He says, cast all your anxiety on me. It's personal. I care about you. So it takes work. It takes focus. Um, you could just write down the reference in Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16. It says, approach the throne of grace with confidence so that you can receive mercy and find grace. To help us in our time of need. You know, when we're not at our best, it's hard to have confidence before God. And yet, that's exactly the posture that he wants. We can visualize when we're not doing well emotionally that God's up there like, will you get it together? That is, no, God is there with open arms. When we're sad, when we're mad, God says, come here. He's got open arms. He says, I want to help. I'll give you what you need.
we got to connect with God. But that's only the first component because God, the great engineer of comfort, knew that there's another source that's a part of it. And that's the human component. It's, it's the heart-to-heart. It's the eye-to-eye connection that God designed, that God engineered, that God orchestrated as the God of all comfort. And it's His church. It's the family. It's those bonds. It's those friendships. When Cheryl and I were overseas and we heard the news of Ryan's death, in an instant we just... We just wanted to be teleported here. We just wanted to be with everybody. I never felt so helpless when you're halfway around the world and people that you care about are hurting and grieving. You feel like, what can I accomplish from here? And I'll tell you what, I've never been more proud of the church than when we flew in and we drove to their home. And we just saw the church family at work. We saw the food. We saw the drinks. We saw the love. And we heard the stories. We heard stories from the fire captain. From coworkers. From family members. And just said, your, your church family is amazing. What they've done, the love and the support, it's rare. It's unique. One firefighter said, I wish I had what you have. And I was so proud of the church, and I just thought, you know what? We're the leaders, and we're halfway around the world. Yet one of the most difficult situations that anyone could go through happened. And yet the church did what God designed the church to do. You know, the love... Given is not over. It's not a one-time act. It's a, it's a lifetime act. And I, I think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, and you can turn over there. And he's talking about the connections in the church. He's talking about the relationship, our need for one another. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And then at the very end of chapter 12, he says, And now I will show you the most excellent way. And we get down uh, in verse 8. He says, Love never fails. And in verse 13 of chapter 13, he says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You see, God knew the pinnacle of Christianity is love, one for one another. And it's been amazing just the teamwork and to see 
you know, the, the family members that gathered from in town and out of town and all their love and support. And you see the firefighter families gathered together and the, and the comrades and just the support there. And then you just see the church family. And you see the Bible lived out. And it's why he says, we cannot say, I don't need you. Because we're all wired differently and we have different roles. And, you know, some of us are energized by large crowds. Some of us, we, you know, we, we'd rather a smaller group. But he says, all of us need one another. We need one another when we're at our best. And we need one another when we're at our worst. He says, you know why? It's just so that there should be equal concern for one another. And isn't that the way it is in family? Family member hurts, you hurt. That's the difference between an acquaintance and family. When you're family, you roll up your sleeves, you get in the trenches with the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's family. They say this was God's plan all along for the church. He says we're designed to be connected. We're not to function on our own. We're not going to make it on our own. Yes, God is amazing and God is, is the God of all comfort, but He designed it for us to not get all of our comfort from Him alone, but from the human element and the human connection. I've been so proud of Roger and Mahal, of Mike and Robin, of Tim and Jen. And, I mean, they've just gone above and beyond the call of duty. Why? Because it's family. But you know what? In the uh, two and a half days that we've been back, I feel like I've seen everybody in this room in some way, shape, or form helping out, whether it's a meal or a shower repair or drinks or, you know, something, helping out with the kids, playing overnights, do, doing something. And it's been amazing to watch. And you go, that's the way it ought to be. That's not unique. That's just normal Christian church. That's what church is. It's not when we attend on Sundays and leave. No, it's those relationships. It's that connectedness. You know, growing up, I went to church every Sunday, but I had my, my church friends and then I had my real friends. You know, that's not God's plan in the Bible. It's like our spiritual friends is the connection that's going to supply what we need. You know, it's amazing. When you think about God's design... There's times where you are receiving the benefits, and then there's times when you're the giver of the benefits. And isn't that great? Because everybody's needs are shared equally. Everybody's needs are met by the large group. We don't have to all solve everything. No, together we can accomplish a lot. Say, what did Paul say was the most excellent way? Love. He said, what do we do? Where do we go? How we choose to love. 
We choose to give love. We choose to receive love. You need comfort? Get connected. Get connected to God. Quiet your mind. Turn the phone off. Get away from the computer. Quiet yourself so you can go and connect with God. But reach out. Give your heart. Receive other people's hearts. And through that, we receive comfort. It's amazing whether you're over in Russia talking to somebody who's hurting in English and Russian connection is, is limited language knowledge between us. You can give and receive comfort because love does not need a spoken language. That comes in handy at times. But love is universal. It translates just fine. And it's amazing when you give your heart. You say, I don't know what to do. Just being there, choosing to love in the moment is a difference maker. We grieve as a congregation. And others are hurting in different ways. Paul wanted the church in Corinth to know that we serve a God who's the God of all comfort. Well, we don't know all the answers. God says, come to me, connect to me. He says, cast your anxieties on me. Let's make sure we're sending our, our anxious thoughts and our worried hearts the right direction. To God. Why? Because he cares about you. And then the second thing is connect with one another. We're not meant to do it alone. God never designed us that way. And I'm proud of the church. And I'm proud of you. And God calls each one of us to love. You're doing well right now? Awesome. Give a lot of love. You're hurting and you need love? Fine. You you can steal all the love you want. There's no law against that. Let's go after it. We serve the God of all comfort. Let's offer comfort. Let's bring comfort. Let's connect with God and let's connect with one another. Let's stand as we close in a final song.